Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Golf Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Toby, a PGA professional golf coach where I'm very fortunate enough to share conversations with PGA Tour players, live golfers, golf coaches, mental coaches, and many more. Today, I've got a friend who I've been connecting with on Instagram for a while. His name is Scott Gardner. He's an Australian uh, PGA professional. He played on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and he's actually the first Aboriginal golfer to play on the PGA Tour and something that he's extremely proud of. And we go into this first episode here where we talk about his playing career. Uh, We jump around from when he beat Mr. Jason Day in a playoff hole in 2005 to win his first ever event. And then we jump through to the European Tour, the PGA Tour. This is episode one on Scott Gardner's playing career. I appreciate you all for listening. He's a great guy, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Take care. All right, Scotty, welcome to the Golf Coach Podcast. How are you, brother? Yeah, great. Great to be a part of it. You know, we've texted and whatever but you know first time speaking really in person and you know I really love the stuff that you're doing and you know I'll probably learn some things today I think too and that's the thing you know like I love about starting this podcast was I get to talk to you know people like you you know all the time you know hopefully once a week try and record something like this and we've connected over Instagram a little bit and the other beautiful thing right is that I kind of grew up you know watching you you play you know you were that kind of a little bit older than me and I always kind of admired you as a player and without being offensive I kind of felt like you were the, the bit of the underdog you know what I mean Scotty like I always yeah. come on Scotty let's go you know and I felt that way coming through on the heels of Jeff Ogilvy and Brendan Jones and you know Brett Rumford Aaron Badley you know played a lot Brett turned a lot of those guys turned pro a year or two before me I turned pro basically the same day as Aaron because we played in the Eisenhower team together. Oh, really? Yes. So was Aaron Badley, is he a little bit younger than you, is he, or the same age? Or? Yeah. Four years younger, like uh, Aaron and Adam Scott, you know, Sergio, Justin Rose. You know, I think we all turned pro around the same time, but they did a little bit better than me. <laughs> hey, that's, that's not a bad group to hang out with, hey? Always with them, though, that's for sure. All right, so before we get into some of that stuff there, I really, I really want to, you know, learn about your, you know, who you came through with, that's for sure, and who you kind of admired when you were playing. But so where are you? Where are you living now, Scotty? I'm in uh, Farmington, Arkansas, on the same exit as the University of Arkansas, the Razorbacks, for anybody familiar with college sport. It's a big college town. We actually, I don't know, we, we have an LPGA Tour tournament about, 30 minutes down the road, which is hosted by Walmart, which is, you know, one of the biggest brands in America. And we're definitely seasonal. It's as hot as can be right now. And we had the strongest winter you could imagine. You know, we had lots of snow this year, which normally we get once or twice, but this year it came came pretty hard. That's great. Yeah, no, I've seen lots of videos of you hitting balls in the snow. You're, you're insane. And I tell you what, that's a journey I'm looking forward to getting into, right? You've started from what, Liverpool, Sydney, and Australia, and now you're living in Arkansas. Like, there's a, there's a lot in there we need to kind of wrap up in between, isn't yeah. there? So, yeah, I lived in Penrith till I was 12 and then moved to the Gold Coast and played out of Coolangatta Tweed and then, yep. you know, pretty well year-round and now it's, uh, who knows? <laughs> That's crazy. So, all right, let's get into your playing career, right? Obviously, you're an established player and, you know, now you're an established golf coach and, you know, looking after a lot of, you know, really good players these days and then, looking through like for the next generation of golfers coming through your playing career right I did a little bit of research bit of digging around I think I found in 2005 you won your first professional event is that correct yeah yeah I'd been pro four years 
you know, played a few years on European tour. Yeah, did you know? I did quite well to get status over there because I did it through invites and yeah. finished. I never had a full card, but I was one sixteen to one forty five, so I got you know fifteen starts each year and had some success, but you know didn't play enough or didn't play quite well enough to have a full card. Hey, but what about that slouch that you beat in the playoff hole in your the Queensland PGA in your first win? Yeah, and no, that was a good one. I knew that that would be my claim to fame uh, playing with Jason. I, uh, you know, he he was world junior champion, I think, at the time, and wow. uh, opened up with sixty three. But I was four behind a Wollongong guy, Brad McIntosh. But uh, and then down, he shot fifty nine, sixty three the second day, and then I was ahead. You know, all of the last day playing quite well, and Jason birdied the last three holes to tie me at twenty three under. And then uh, he actually had his eighteenth birthday on the Saturday of the event and he happened to shoot on that day. and we were quite good friends. I'd known Jason, you know, for a couple of years and, you know, during the playoff, I said, if this had been last week, I would have already won because you'd be home for curfew. But uh, he kept on making the across the green and I kind of outlasted him. I don't know if I could do that now. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's an incredible mindset, isn't it? You know, of Jason Day at the age of 18, Queensland PGA, amateur golfer, finishes 23 under and, and gets into a playoff hole and then you, you dust him up on the fourth hole. That's crazy. Yeah, I thought par was a good score when I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, yeah. 36, 36 points off 14 handicap or whatever was good. Yeah. So, all right, so you win your first Queensland PGA event, right? And and from there, where do you go? Well, interesting. I'd already played... I'd kind of had an interesting career. Like I'd done kind of all right in Europe my first two years. And then the third year I went back to play. I was probably going to play challenge tour for most of the year. And I, I don't know, it was quite expensive. I went over there for a couple of months and I decided that, I don't know, I played half and half of challenge and European did British open qualifier, got yeah. 66 first round par the second and I went home for three weeks and never went back because the courses were just not very good and the money was yeah. not very good and it was it was very expensive you yeah. know it was I'd grown up playing a lot of tournaments on the sand belt and these you know there's a lot of strategy and the courses played fast whereas the European courses on the challenge tour they were soft you know you hit it 300 yards on the fly and then you put it low greens which was to me wasn't very skillful you know so yeah so I went home I didn't know what I was going to do so this is probably going into places that you didn't probably realize but you know that was midway through the year and I was like I don't know I didn't know what I was going to do but I I was living in a house with no curtains at the time so the sun came in 5 30 every morning and so like, I'm not getting back to bed so I'd go for a beach walk you know down to a where they hold the first world surfing event of the year, actually. I think Rainbow Bay, uh, Snapper Rocks. And I get home at 30. I do, oh, well, you know, I don't know what to do. I go to the gym. <laughs> and yeah. then I'm in pretty good shape through that routine. And, yeah, yeah and then 8 o'clock, I'm done. Um, oh, I better go to the course and practice because, yeah. you know, what else am I going to do? And anyway, that led to the best golf probably that I ever played on the Australian Tour that, you know, got me in the top 10 on the money list, got me exempt to go to America. And, you know, even going into the 
you know, the Queensland PGA win, I'd played in America and I don't know, I did, I finished 70th on the money list and I wasn't really too excited about it, but I was exempt to go to second stage. That's the nationwide, that was the secondary tour, right? Yeah. I didn't really, you know, I didn't really want to go back to Q school, (laughs) you know, at the end of 2005 and I was going to tell my agent, I'm, I'm not playing well enough. And then I won. So I had to go back after winning. So yeah. So then I don't know, you know, not really, nothing happened fast. You know, I, everything, I was probably a little bit behind in development my whole career. Like I was, I don't know, I didn't get to the state junior squad and because I played most of my junior golf in Queensland. Then I played one event and I finished third. So they put me in the New South Wales state junior team, you know, living in Tweed Heads and then yeah. made the, and then the next time I played, I played well, the Australian junior finished fourth. So they put me in the Australian team and then, yeah. So that was at 17. And then I didn't, I don't know, like I, I didn't make the state team till I was about 22. Yeah. So that was like five years. And then I'm trying to think 2005. So I didn't have a great year. I don't know. In, 2006 but I think I finished like 30th on the money list 2007 and then I proceeded like I finished to get your PGA Tour card you had to finish top 25 and I finished in the top 30 four out of six years but it wasn't till the sixth year that I graduated to the PGA Tour. I did notice that so like you played the nationwide tour from 2003 to 2012 is that right? Really, like I played a few events, 03 and 04, just coasting, yeah. but I played 05 to 12. So when you said there that you kind of, you know, a lot of the time there you're finishing in between 25th and 30th or whatever to try mm. and get your PJ Tour card. So for people listening, you know, when you're playing on the secondary tours, there's that cherry, right? The reason most people are playing those yeah. is to get to the main tour, which is you want to be within that whatever those limits they set which is generally top 25 they call it the 25 yeah that's that's a highest <laughs> the most highest pressure situation you ever watch you know when i watch people on that secondary tour who are on that bubble you know because like you said right you're playing the secondary tour in europe and it's nothing like being on the european tour and being on the, the secondary tour in the states probably back then as well is nothing like being on the pga tour that gap was probably yeah even yeah wider. so what do you what you get on how did you get through that barrier to get from well the fortunate thing was i'd not played on the pga tour I'd not played a pga tour event so i didn't know what i was missing yeah. you know i was interested in getting better you know it's really hard for guys that fall off the pga tour to keep their motivation up, I think, yeah, because it is ten, you know, ten times the money, and you know, the golf world is backwards. The guys that need the help have to pay a lot, <laughs> you know, like tournament entries. You know, like the schedule is all over the place. You know, you're going from I don't know Brazil to Indiana, you know, and then two weeks later in Mexico. Whereas the PGA Tour, it goes, you know, you can pretty well drive a car generally, like. Yeah, yeah, they have the California swing, you know, then they'll go maybe Houston and New Orleans, you know, like they're packed, you know, an hour and a half down the road a lot of the time. So yeah. there's not a lot of fence and they'll give you a hire car, you know, like they'll give you breakfast, they'll give you lunch and sometimes they'll throw in a show or do tickets for the family, you know, when you're on the way up. 
you're paying for a flat. But playing on that secondary tour and the way that I've always explained it to, to people, just as a general chit-chat, it's kind of like the guys on the PGA Tour, they carpool in aeroplanes and the guys in the secondary tour, they carpool in cars, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. that's, and then, that's tough. Like they, they have a lot of housing, you know, like where people aren't staying in hotels on the secondary tour. And that's some of the best experiences. I think that even the guys on the PGA Tour will talk about the time in getting to that point as being the most fun. So you launched onto the PGA Tour. How was that experience? It was really good. You know, was I wasn't too unfamiliar because, you know, I'd been in the system for a long time. I'd seen guys graduate for at least eight years. And then there were guys from the European tour when I played in 01 to 03. So in terms of the company, there was a lot of familiarity. You know, I it was kind of an interesting time too, because 2013, my rookie year, the end of 2012 in Arkansas, we had an ice storm. So everything was shut down. Like I didn't hit a ball for two weeks before I got to Hawaii because the facilities weren't open. So as everything was backwards, I'd, you know, I'd got a sponsorship with TaylorMade. They told me the bag would be there on the Saturday before. I took a yellow pencil bag and I didn't even have any hats. And then the, the hats and the bags didn't arrive till Tuesday. So I'm playing a practice round with a yellow pencil bag and, and I bought a Hawaii 5.0 hat. So it was kind of funny. I, I kind of laughed about it. And then I ended up playing great. I was in the second last group the first wow. week and thinking how, uh, well, why didn't I get ahead out here sooner? But this doesn't seem that hard, but I, I soon learned. <laughs> how did you go in that first tournament? How was the experience of being in the hunt? Was it a, a different feeling from being on the other tours? Not really. You know, golf is always golf to me. Whether I was playing in the, you know, Moolumbah, you know, Stableford or the yeah. Australian, I was trying my best to, you know, make my next shot my best one, you know. Yeah. shoot the lowest foot every day, you know. It was, you know, I always felt that the better the tournament, probably the better the condition of the course, so the better I was going to play. Okay. That's interesting. So you you weren't really kind of, I guess you're pretty experienced, right? You've been in the Nationwide for a long time. Like that's the secondary tour, which is now called the Corn Ferry. So you're pretty experienced, you know, by that time of your career, weren't you? Yeah, I was 36 years old, so it was yeah, so I had a few rounds under my belt. So what was, apart from that first week in Hawaii, what was your highlight of playing on the PGA Tour? I, I, you played for two years, 2013 and 2014. What was your highlight? Uh, playing with Mickelson in the final group in the Wells Fargo on a Saturday. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He was, I don't know, he could not have been better to me. Like, uh, I'd never met him before. I went up and introduced myself five minutes before I hit off, you know, I was on the putting green and walked over, you know, I played with 10 guys that were number one or would become number one yeah. in my career. Probably the most anxious that I ever was, you know, because he was such a charismatic person and, you know, the way he played the game and, you know, and generally I was pretty good, you know, just got out there and played, but playing with Phil in the final group, I, Walked over to the tent, you know, you get your scorecard, or well, you get your scorecard, you get your pin sheet, your pencil, maybe a drink. I walked in the tent, walked back out, looked down the fairway, saw how many people there were, walked back in the tent, I'll come back out. <laughs> I, then I get up there and I hit like the longest drive that 
you know, I could have possibly hit. And I actually hit it too close. I remember I had like 84 yards and I was like, I don't think there's a club in my bag. I can hit that short. So naturally I hit it just over the green, just off the green. And I, I chipped it in and Mickelson's uh-huh. walking behind. And I was like, he was, he was just sort of walking. And I was like, I felt like Roy McAvoy. Because yeah. I was 30. No one knew who I was and I was, you know, having a good time. <laughs> How did you go that day? How did you finish up the tournament? Well, I finished about 20th, you know, so it was, it was all right. I started out good. Like I was had a putt to go like two under after seven. Missed The greens were not good that year. Yeah, they died. But, you know, that course is known for being the absolute best on tour condition-wise and but, yeah, and then I, I had a double and a bogey and we're standing on the 10th tee and, yeah, it feels – it's a par five and feels like we're just chatting and he's like, oh, so what tournament you got coming up? And I was, well, I won't get in next week, but I'll be in whatever. He goes, well, why won't you get in next week? And he says, well, I'm not qualified. He says, well, how about you make some birdies, win this thing and go play? You know, like wow. – Wow, what a legend. Yeah, yeah, and – his coach was actually sorry. His agent was the head coach at the University of Arkansas, which is where I practiced. And the coach got in. Well, they say he got in a motorcycle accident, and Phil was aware of it. And we kind of had easy conversations. And you know, he's such a sports fan that at the time there was talk of him buying a share in the San Diego Padres. You know, we talked about his wife was a cheerleader for the Phoenix Suns. Just so many. You know, just he's easy to easy to talk to, and I think, you know, he liked talking because that's made him comfortable to play, and I, I felt the same way. That's great. Down, I always kind of knew what people were interested in, and you know, if I don't know if I, you know, when you're 12, you know, playing at a club, you got to find ways to kind of get comfortable around older people. I think that carried over into my career where. You know, I just found things that made other people comfortable and that made me comfortable and, yeah. How how important is that? I've spoken to a few people about this on the podcast with Travis and Greg Chalmers. How important is it to you, like how much better is it to you on the day when you play with someone who you're really comfortable with? Yeah, it's, you know, you're excited about it going in. Like, you know, I always, I think I was always just happy to play and there weren't people that I can recall that I was uncomfortable to go out with and yeah. you know I felt when I played with the absolute best I probably played better because you know just the adrenaline you yeah know, you could do you wouldn't normally do so out of the Aussies that you kind of came through and grew up with you know did you stay in touch with most of them who were you close with good question you know I've messaged with Brett Rumford a little bit you know on Instagram yeah, you know, we got it like a group chat with over here the Aussies like uh, Pricey Nitties. I think Nick Flanagan might be in on it. Matt Zion's Richard Swift. You know, that's uh, Swifty. I've talked to a lot, but yeah, you know, like I guess you know everybody goes in different directions in terms of where they're from and what airport they're flying out of. But you know, all the Aussies really good guys you know particularly I found the the people the young ones that were really good were generally pretty humble and they they kind of let their club do the talking and just treated everybody well you know Leishman or Bads or Jason Day Adam Scott they're all just class classy people they are, aren't they 
They are. And they seem to really look after each other. Like when I watch, you know, obviously just from a fan point of view with the um, Instagram or whatever, always kind of seen like, you know, an Adam Scott went with Cameron Smith when he was young or, you know, you always saw someone like with a young Ryan Ruffles now, you always see to see the Aussies tend to look after him. Yeah, well, I had played a lot of practice rounds, Lucas Parsons, Robert Allenby, Stuart Appleby, Roger Davis, Pete Senior. You know, they were Ian Baker Finch. I played a lot with him on the Gold Coast and, you know, he was kind of, yeah, he's a great man. So, all right, end of 2014, what happened there with the PGA Tour? I think I I ended up on a medical for 2015 because I had – I think I had thyroid problems and my energy got really low. Like I'd never pulled out of a tournament in my life and I had a couple of weeks out of free where I just, I couldn't, I didn't play the second round because I just didn't have the energy and I didn't know why. Yeah. Yeah. And then phew, the next year I ended up with carpal tunnel and a pinched ulnar nerve. So oh, it was no. kind of doing my body broke down. You know, I'd been at it for a long time, but, but yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, it's you can't complain. There's yeah. The thing about the PGA Tour is it doesn't matter how bad you, they you play, they still treat you really well. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah, that's good. That's good. The last thing I guess I want to touch base on your playing career before we get into your coaching career is a good old. Well, my old doctor was a good friend of mine, and we were close. We used to hang out a little bit. His name was Doctor Gav, and he's a, a proud Aboriginal man. And he'd always joke with me, right? You never know when Doctor Gav's telling the truth, and people from Manly listen. Okay will know this, right? And he used to always say things like, oh, it's my cousin. He's my cousin, Scotty, and I just used to laugh it off. I used to say, he's not- Williams? Gavin, Dr. Gavin Williams. He's a legend. His uh, cousin lived down the street from me, and, you know, he was uh, the flags champion of the world. You know, he was a legend. Yeah. So, but he used to tell me, right, he's a proud Aboriginal man, and he would say that he was your cousin and, and he yeah and I never believed him until I actually met you on Instagram and I actually asked you to make sure that he wasn't hasn't been lying to me for years so and I did a bit more research into it you're the first player to play on the PGA Tour with Aboriginal heritage that's correct yeah 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 I was and it's really cool actually talking about my you know debut in Hawaii actually had NITV filming a documentary on me the week so they're probably yeah some really good people that are friends to this day Haley Mackay and that's the Northern Territory TV station is that correct no it's National Indigenous TV oh okay yeah 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 but that was you know had a great time that really you know did a good job the documentary still goes on air you know every six months I seem like I get a message from somebody saying they watched it and yeah, it was cool. They did uh, five documentaries. They did one on Patty Mills. Yeah. He was playing. There was a guy who played for Alabama, Jesse Williams, back to back national football championship. There was a BMX rider who went to the Olympics and also a guy, I think it was Brendan Williams, who played rugby in okay. Italy. And they spent a week with each athlete and you know, went through what they did and talked about, you know, what how they got there. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like, I guess, you know, from our perspective, like, did you have any Indigenous friends who played golf when you grew up? 
can't recall too many. No, no. It may, you know, I can't recall that I did. Seems that's a long time ago now. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's really cool. I grew up, you know, in an Indigenous kind of culture down here in the South Coast, New South Wales, and I was out for dinner with a friend of mine before yoga, and she's very yeah. proud. She's very proud and she, her whole yoga is based around, you know, she's pulling stuff from the stuff that she's learned from her ancestors. And I told yeah. her that um, you were coming on the podcast and she was all giggly. You know, she was like, that's unreal. And I said, you, you re- represent the Aboriginals and the Indigenous well, I guess, you know, you, you've done a, an amazing job to make it the whole way to the PGA Tour and get to fly that flag, I guess. It's pretty cool, huh? I was, I had a lot of help along the way, uh, in the way of, oh, I'm trying to think. You know, some, I, I got to be pretty good friends with David Lydiard, the former Parramatta and Penrith Rugby League player. Oh, he wow. ran a program called The Hunt for the Australian Tiger because that was like around 1,000, you know, Tiger, you know, he'd won the Masters and we're trying to identify talent in Australia. Yeah, so, you know, we did some golf camps. Charlie Earp was involved. Glenn, Will- Glenn Whittle was involved a little bit and... Yeah, we had kids come from everywhere. To, we did a camp at Mount Broughton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so I got some funding that enabled me to get to some tournaments that I might not have otherwise been able to get to and just, you know, help continue my development. You know, and it's like my, my heritage really opened some doors. I got to be around some people that I wouldn't have otherwise. You know, I got to play golf with Bob Hawke and John wow. Brown. Yeah, and... I don't know, just, you know, and David Lydiard, who was, you know, kind of a hero, you know, being a Penrith. I grew up, I lived in Penrith till I was 12. So I would go on the weekend, play football, and then to become friends with him was, you know, a real thrill. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I was, I was, yeah, I really want to touch base that one. Thank you very much for listening to episode one there with Scott Gardner. Thank you very much to Tua T as always for sponsoring the podcast. If you aren't using a Tua T, you are doing yourself an injustice. Tua T made from 100% recycled plastic. It is proven to create more ball speed. It's proven for the ball to then fall travel further through less friction. And there's plenty of guys in the PGA Tour who are using it. And please go to your nearest store or jump on the link below to make sure you get yours. Alrighty now, so if you want to transition into Scotty Gardner's part two, please feel free to jump onto the next podcast there. We talk about his coaching career. We share stories around developing golfers and his methods and what he likes to see from his players and and where he likes to train. And we share some similar interests and similar, I guess, philosophies around that. So jump onto part two where you'll catch the, the second chat there with Scotty Gardner.